Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast. For the week of Monday, November 11th, 2013, I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And here we are. We have uh, one week left to go. We had 14 teams clinch automatic bids on Saturday, a pretty good week 10 in Division Three football. And, uh, well, you know, if that wasn't enough for you, we saw John Carroll totally dismantle Heidelberg. Uh, we saw Franklin lose to a sub-500 team from its own conference. We had a lot of interesting stuff go on in uh, week 10 in, uh, in Division Three football, Keith. Yeah, this is probably my favorite week. This week, obviously, in, in week 11 and then the playoffs. But, you know, it gets so exciting at this point of the year. Not only are teams playing, you know, their rivals a lot of times, but they're, they're playing, uh, you know, for their playoff lives or for their conference championships. And, you know, as we saw on Saturday, there were crazy finishes. There were blowouts that we didn't expect, losses that we didn't expect. Uh, maybe it's just a combination of this point in the year you think you know what a team is and then you you know you see the results on Saturday at least from from where we're watching with this the birds eye view watching the whole country and, and, and watching the conference races change and watching teams clinch and and, they, and you know you see on Twitter or you see on video or whatever you see how happy they are and then you got the dejection on the other side there's just a real uh, mix of emotions and it's a lot of fun and I think there are, there were so many surprises this week you know the only thing we didn't get out of this week is like the crazy four-way tiebreaker scenarios but other than that I thought we got everything we could have expected and more we could have a four-way tiebreaker next week in the New Jersey Athletic Conference we'll discuss that possibility and, and uh, the other uh, games in the, uh, conferences that will decide championships are a bunch of head-to-head -head games they'll go head-to-head -head for the title in the NEFC Usually that's not a surprise, but this year it is because it's not a 12-team or 14-team conference anymore. Uh, Ohio Athletic Conference, John Carroll and Mount Union will go head-to-head. Hampton-Sydney and Randolph-Macon in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference will go head-to-head. -head. Uh, also, Hope and Albion in the MIAA as we have some great uh, games coming up. And there were some great games on Saturday. And, uh, you know, maybe some surprises. Uh, I led off uh, talking about... John Carroll dismantling Heidelberg and Keith you know we've spent a lot of time talking about John Carroll over the course of the last few weeks how they are just dominating teams uh, both offensively and defensively and you know yet another week in which a John Carroll opponent does not break into double figures I was a little bit surprised to be honest with you that not that John Carroll was uh, was going to win because we talked about that in triple take on Friday but that they just did it in such a dominating fashion yeah, I actually caught a portion of this game on video, and it was, uh, you know, they made quick work of Heidelberg. Uh, you know, got right off the field, John Carroll goes down and scores, and at that point it was it was a blowout, and there were so many other good games going on, it just wasn't worth spending a lot of time watching. So I, I wanted to get to know John Carroll a little more because, you know, I think for from what we've seen so far, you know, we know they have a, a pretty good offense, a good quarterback, and this great defense. And I wanted to start to, you know, get know some names on the defense and see, you know, are they great in coverage? Are they great uh, at the line of scrimmage? Are they just good everywhere? And I, I didn't watch it long enough to really get a good sense for it. But I think that was the big surprise, not that, as you mentioned, not that John Carroll won, but that the, the defense was just as dominant as it had been, given that Heidelberg was one of the top offenses in the country coming in. And I know they rolled up a lot of those numbers early in the season against weak teams, but but they, you know, John Carroll put a put more of a hurting on Heidelberg than Mount Union did, and that's something that should carry some weight when you're uh, thinking about how that resonates across the country. It really does. I mean, this is one of those Saturday night podcasts, so we don't know what the top twenty-five looks like. I obviously we know that John Carroll will take a a bit of a jump. Um, I, you know, going into a game at Mount Union, that's you know, maybe one of the uh, 
one of the big uh, question marks is that uh, John Carroll, you know, hasn't seen a team like Mount Union, at least not in the sense where they're in a, a game where they're expected to be competitive. Uh, and they have to go there. But, you know, as as we mentioned, you know, uh, was it how many points? I still have a box score here on my desk because I don't clean up my desk very often during the season. Heidelberg put 34 points on Mount Union last week uh, and only put seven on John Carroll. Obviously, Heidelberg had a little bit, a little bit of help for maybe one of those touchdowns, but still, that's a lot of points to score against uh, Mount Union and to not, you know, again, not to get into double figures against John Carroll is makes next week's game a head-to-head game for the Ohio Athletic Conference title just all the more interesting. You know, and, and I think it's been interesting to watch the progression of how seriously we, we take John Carroll. There were earlier in the season we noticed because they were shutting teams out, and then we started, you know, mid-season we started to say, this is probably a top 25 team. They're pretty good. You know, and, and, and we start talking about them every week, regardless of you know how good their competition is. And then I think we really got to the point that this was the first, you know, their first game. Uh, you know, they started eight and zero, but they hadn't played the other two monster teams in the conference. And and you know, today or or Saturday, it really seemed like uh, they are the other monster team in the conference because of what they did to Heidelberg. Four turnovers for Heidelberg, and I, I don't know how many of those. Were, uh, you know, were just bad turnovers on Heidelberg's part or great plays on John Carroll's part. But I think you know, being able to, to take away the Heidelberg running game, you know, Cartel Brooks had uh, 118 yards rushing, which is you know, for a lot of teams, that's a, that's a great day. But, but for, um, for him and the type of numbers that, that Heidelberg's been putting up offensively, um, you know, it's kind of just a pretty good day or an average day. And I think in, in the context of the game, uh, obviously, uh, John Carroll's defense was dominant. Talking about the Blue Streaks' progression during the course of the season, they broke into our top 25 poll uh, when they were 3-0 back in week four. They moved into the 24 spot. At that point, they had, uh, as we mentioned, they shut out St. Norbert to start the season, uh, beat Baldwin-Wallace 27-7, beat Otterbein 28-0. And, you know, it hasn't gotten a lot uh, prettier for their opponents from there, but I thought that, you know, we were on, I thought we were on John Carroll relatively early. It's only in the last couple weeks that, uh, you know the uh, um, looking at the position where where I was looking at uh, on Friday when I was doing the prediction for triple take and thinking this is one of those rare situations where the AFCA top twenty five is more likely to have it right than we did. Yeah, and, and you, it's true that we were we were on them, but I think you go from thinking okay they're they're good to now they're they're pretty good to now to the point where maybe they beat Mount Union next week. It's a, uh, you know, and it's, it's just one of the things about the Ohio Athletic Conference this year. Um, as you guys probably know, at least certainly OAC fans know, five of the ten teams turned over their head coaches last year. Uh, you know, obviously one of them a fairly successful one handing off to a successor, but a, a lot of programs which were in need of some changeover. And, uh, you know, those, those uh, programs have struggled again this year, and they haven't really provided a lot of great competition for the rest of the conference. I, I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, John Carroll hasn't uh, maybe gone higher in the polls or why we were so, uh, you know, why we were, I don't want to say hesitant, but we were kind of, uh, you know, hedging our bets maybe a little bit or just, you know, kind of waiting to see, waiting for them to play somebody. Yeah, and, and we got our answer uh, on Saturday, and it was definitive. There was no doubt about it. And there was a point, you know, in, in that game where, um, you know, Heidelberg at halftime came out, got the ball first, and you think, okay, they, they had a chance to, to regroup a little bit and, and maybe, 
try to cut down the the, uh, the halftime lead and make it an interesting game. And they just went three and out. John Carroll went right on the field. So, you know, it, there was nothing fluky about it. It was a uh, 31-7 lead at the half. John Carroll had a 24-point second quarter. But then I thought that the very beginning of the third quarter, they didn't even let uh, Heidelberg believe they could get back in the game. And they actually won it going away 48-7 in the final. For Heidelberg, this puts them at two losses. Uh, I mentioned because of the struggles because of the struggles of the OAC this year, uh, strength of schedule is particularly low, kind of for everybody in the conference. Um, and Heidelberg at seven and two with a 4.55 strength of schedule coming into the final week. Even among the two lost teams, they are not in uh, not in great shape. You know, Alfred is probably the best two loss team on the board uh, at uh, with a 5.39 strength of schedule. Uh, St. John's at 464 is slightly better than uh, Heidelberg. Uh, even St. Thomas, if they were to get ahead of St. John's, if St. Thomas lost next week, uh, St. Uh, St. Thomas has a uh, St. John's were to lose and pick up its third loss, St. Thomas might be able to pass them if they get into the regional rankings, and they have a fairly decent strength of schedule. But those are the two lost teams. We have uh, Wabash, Illinois Wesleyan, uh, the Platteville Oshkosh winner, the John Carroll Mountain Union loser. Uh, Pacific Lutheran uh, and uh, Thomas Moore is uh, pretty uh, and uh, Illinois College as one loss teams. Those first five probably being the the first five at least uh, you know in, in our minds and, and maybe the the next two being below because their strength of schedule is below 500. But that's seven for those five spots before we even talk about any two loss teams. Yeah, and and you know for a two loss team to jump a, a one loss team, it would have to have a pretty impressive resume. And uh, the, the one loss team would have to have a pretty weak resume, and there may be some scenarios this season uh, where that's possible. But I don't, I don't know. You know, I think right now two loss team is grasping at straws. You're really going to need some uh, to have some some upsets next week. And you know, the thing about that is none of those teams in uh, in in the pool C picture are playing games where you could envision them losing. And that's not to say that. Teams can't be upset. We've seen it happen before. We saw Franklin lose, you know, completely out of the blue uh, on Saturday. So it can happen. But even the, the, you know, the teams in the Pool C picture that that are playing big games are are teams where, um, you know, the, the, there's one team that's in and there's one team that's out. You know, Platteville and Oshkosh. You know, the winner of that game is a very strong Pool C candidate, and the loser is a very weak candidate. But you know, goes in the two-loss bin, and then you have you know John Carroll Mount Union game. The winner obviously clinches the uh, automatic qualifier from the Ohio Athletic Conference, and the loser is a very strong Pool C candidate. So, as you mentioned, Pat, seven uh, for five spots right now, and I think there are some strong two-loss teams across the country. But I don't, I don't really see how they're they're going to get in. You know, they got, you got the you know the three in the MIAC. Alfred and, and the other ones that you mentioned, including Heidelberg. And I, I just don't know, um, you know, if this were a year where there are more pool C spots, maybe, but with five and seven real solid resumes, it, uh, it could be tough. Wabash and Wittenberg, that was a head-to-head game that was going to decide the automatic bid out of the North Coast Athletic Conference. Uh, each of these teams has a game left coming up next week. Wabash plays at DePaul against its arch rival and Wittenberg hosts Allegheny, which over the course of the season has uh, yet to win a game. So uh, Wittenberg looks like they're uh, not only going to, of course, uh, they've won the, they've got the automatic bid, but going to be in uh, good shape to finish running the table. Wabash, uh, we mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned, maybe I didn't, strength of schedule 514 going into next week. That's going to slide a little bit against DePaul. But the um, 
the game, of course, that uh, decided this uh, decided this automatic bid. Uh, Wittenberg had this game pretty in hand pretty early too. Yeah, and and you know you could we we follow probably a bunch of Wabash uh, fans on Twitter. They're good good friends of ours, and uh, you know you could see the frustration in that game very early. Um, you know, it, I, I don't think that one was really ever ever close or or worth following. You know, there was a point on Saturday where there were all these great games going on, and you you want to pick one to watch, and and that was twenty eight three at the half. Uh, we and Wittenberg uh, jumped out pretty quickly in in that one, and, and really never looked back. And so, uh, I know that that you know Wabash was disappointed. There was the quote in the in the post game about uh, from from Eric Grayburn about uh, you know the special teams being bad and, and getting penalties. And so you, you know they they don't they probably didn't put their best foot forward. But I think um, the good thing about coming into that game undefeated for for Wabash is that they have a chance as a Pool C team right now. And for Wittenberg, you know that was a team we didn't know quite what to make of because you had the on one hand you had the loss against Butler. And you, you know you just don't know what to make of of a of a you know one or FCS non scholarship team. What their strength is relative to D three in any given year, and then you had all these you know North Coast teams that they're whooping up on, and, and you just you know I don't know how to how to judge a a, a Wittenberg Hiram score or a Wittenberg Denison Oberlin game and, and relate that to how they're going to play against Wabash. So this was a, a big test for them, and they passed it with flying colors. Uh, and we also saw on Saturday, you know, um, I think I believe we've mentioned it on the podcast. We certainly mentioned it on the site. Uh, Wabash has cycled through a, a couple of running backs because of injuries and such this year, and they uh, certainly struggled on the ground on Saturday uh, over the course of the afternoon with just 57 rushing yards on 31 attempts. But yeah, for uh, for Wabash, obviously, um, going into the Monon Bell game next week against DePauw, uh, I would say DePauw hasn't been competitive in this game for quite some time, and DePauw's not having a particularly great year. Uh, but Wabash really needs to, uh, obviously, not only finish out with a win, but I'm sure they feel like they need to make a statement. Whether that uh, statement in- involves another 42 to 7 type score or not, I'm not sure. But uh, certainly, uh, Wabash gets to come back a little bit focused next week. And then, to be honest with you, almost everybody sweats it out on the bubble, I would say, other than perhaps the team that loses the Mount Union John Carroll game. Yeah, and I think maybe Pacific Lutherans in good shape. They don't play next week. That, that so does they, put them in good shape at least. They don't. They can't lose on. They Saturday. can't lose, right? Yeah. So uh, you know they can't go backward, and they have a, a, a strength of schedule number that's way over the the median. There, they're at five forty five, and it's, that's not going to get lower. Uh, well, I guess it could. I guess it could get a little lower based on what their opponents' opponents do. But um, but the, you know them not playing next week obviously has they they're safe. Yeah, they're going to remain in the one-loss group at eight and one, and we've seen them, you know, get passed over before. But but I think they're in good shape. The the point you made about Wabash, you know, getting up for the Monon Bell game, never any problem for that, whether or not playoffs are on the line. But the fact that they lose this game and they still have a chance to get in the playoffs, and it's not that hard to to sort of to sort of flush it and get focused for next week because you still have everything you you wanted, everything you started the season is still in front of you. Maybe not everything. If if you if the North Coast Conference title was probably a goal, but you can make up for it. Let's say you you win the Mona Bell game, you get into the playoffs. You know, and if you you go farther than Wittenberg, you could sort of forget about that this game, and, and you can really get rid of it quickly. And if it, especially in a game that's mistake prone, you know, you just do things that were uncharacteristic. You have penalties and stuff like that. Things that you you can correct. 
and, and rather than just say, man, we just got killed by a much better team, it, it's easy uh, as a player to get focused for that next week and go in there, you know, have that good week of practice and, uh, and get ready for, for the final game. You know, I don't know, to be honest with you, how strong you, where, they, where they fit in exactly in Pool C. Um, and we'll probably talk about that before we wrap this thing up. We'll take a maybe closer look at these seven teams. But, um, but it's not uh, just playing that next game uh, after a bad loss sometimes can be tough for you if that game has cost you your whole, your whole dreams for the season. But I think in the Little Giants case, you know, playing the rivalry game and having playoffs still at stake, it, it, may, it will make it easy for them. One of the things that Wabash lost out on is the opportunity to play a home game. Uh, they probably uh, also might not get to avoid the OAC runner-up in the first round. They could end up potentially in a 4-5 type game, perhaps at John Carroll or Mount Union, depending on uh, who loses that game coming up next Saturday. One of the teams that had them in the North Region rankings last week, North Central, uh, they won back the little brass bell and they defeated Wheaton on Saturday to clinch that automatic bid. That's a you know a, a team that was uh, obviously in good position to get in. Otherwise, uh, even if they had gone to a three-way tiebreaker, they had to have lose had to have lost. They would have had to have lost by about 40, 41 points. Uh, but for for North Central, who I saw pretty early in the season and thought was pretty darn good, it's been a uh, I don't want to say a dominant run, but it's been. I mean, they've they've beaten fairly handily the the good teams in that conference, and that's a good conference. Yeah, and, and you know to add on to that too, they played WIAC teams before they got into their CCIW schedule, so they were well, well tested. And I thought they sort of made their name uh, as a running team for for a long you know, recently. Their recent success had been just just being almost dominant in the run game. And uh, you know, with Spencer standing this season and the way their offense looked on uh, on parts of the game on Saturday, you know, they're running the same stuff that you. I don't want to simplify it because so many teams run it, but to, but to, you know, you see the the Philadelphia Eagles running it, or you see the it's the Oregon offense. It's the same stuff you you've seen. You know, um, trying to think of some other really well known spread teams that that other people who don't follow D three closely, uh, or, you know, could could identify them with. But in any case, the 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 interesting thing is that North Central opened up the passing game. Uh, on Saturday against Wheaton, uh, Stanek was 21 of 29, five touchdown passes. Peter Sorensen had five catches for 103 yards, uh, averaging 20 yards a catch, had three touchdown catches himself. Uh, Chad O'Kane had the other two touchdown catches. And there was a point in that game, you know, where, where North Central was just trying to hold the ball and protect the 28-16 lead, I think it was. And uh, and they just, you know, just the the Wheaton broadcasters kept bringing it up because it did remind me of the same part of the game where where Illinois Wesleyan killed killed the clock at the end of the game by running a night running a long scoring drive against the Wheaton defense and it was sort of the the same thing uh, but North Central did it by converting uh, some passes and not just by being dominant running the ball down their throat so I think that makes them pretty dangerous in the playoffs because they're going to be a, a multifaceted team a team that's well tested throughout the CCIW and, and by WIAC teams early in the season. They're going to be a tough out in the North region, and that's going to make – that North region is going to be a lot of fun when we, when we get in the postseason. Especially if you think about the fact that they, you know, with with Mountain Union, if Mountain Union wins on Saturday, which is not as – this is less lip service and more reality than uh, we've had those conversations in the past. But if Mountain Union wins on Saturday, gets moved out into a bracket of Eastern-like teams – 
um, and uh, North Central maybe sticks around to be the top seed in the North, or perhaps Whitewater gets moved in uh, because Whitewater uh, won the uh, WIAC title for the eighth time in the past nine years on Saturday by beating Stevens Point. Uh, that makes that region even tougher. And, of course, the, the reason why I would be talking about moving Whitewater out into a, a regional that's already pretty stacked is because we also have Linfield and Bethel uh, looking pretty strong in the uh, West region as well. Yeah, and you just don't want to have it's one team cluster so heavily weighted with teams and then you have another cluster where there's really none of the you know top 10 teams in the country. I'd like to try to avoid that, and I know it's tough – you know the, the committee has several jobs. First, it's to get the teams in. You got the twenty-four automatic qualifiers. Then they got to bring in you know the, the three pool B teams and the five pool C teams. Then you got to take all those teams and seed them. And then you got to make sure you know you got the right teams playing at home. And then once you got all that done, they got to take make sure you know step back a step, look at the entire bracket and say is this matched up the the right way we wanted to? And if it isn't. You know, if it's just too heavily weighted, I don't know if they actually do this, but I feel like it's, it's, it should be part of the process. It should be necessary to say, okay, we've assembled the 32 teams. We think we have the right matchups. Now, is it just weighted way too heavily in one bracket? And if not, how can we shift it around so that it, it's because, yeah, you don't want to, I don't think it, it'd be right to have, you know, Whitewater, Bethel, Linfield, which right now would be top you know, five, three of the five, top five, six teams in the country in the same cluster, you'd like to spread them out. And, you know, ideally the top eight teams, you put two of them in each bracket. So you could have Mountain Union and Hobart. You could have, you know, um, Bethel and Linfield, and you could spread it out that way. And I know our poll has nothing to do with the selection process, but it, in, in from a fairness perspective, it would be nice to, to do it that way. Yeah, especially, I think the uh, I think the committee owes the fans after last year putting uh, both Mountain Union and Mary Harden Baylor on the same side of the bracket to meet in the semifinals. Um, I don't know if how much that weighs on anybody's mind, especially considering the you know the committee changes over every year, and we have a, a new committee chair this year who we didn't have last year. Uh, you know, it, it it wasn't in Indianapolis anyway, uh, where some of those decisions uh, and some of those discussions might take place. Um, but if you think about you know those. If you think there are six teams who we kind of generally agree are dominant and head and shoulders above the rest, and I'm drawing the line between Whitewater and Hobart at the moment. Um, you think about uh, obviously with six of them, you know some brackets going to have one, some brackets are going to have two, even if you divvy them out uh, the most fairly possible. So for for North Central and Whitewater to both be in the same bracket, I mean that doesn't sound great, but it's at some point it's unavoidable. You've got too many teams you know those are six teams i think we legitimately think could win the uh, national championship um and they're probably not the only ones but they're you know six that i think are at least uh head above the rest maybe not head and shoulders i wait to see how john carroll and mountain union turn out yeah you know because we could have a, a very different top few, 10 in in the in a very very different top 10 after next Saturday. So, you know, we're, we're going off what we know now, but I'm looking at, at the top 25 right now, and there are a couple of teams in the teens that I think could do some damage in the playoffs, that, that being John Carroll and, uh, and Pacific Lutheran. You know, Wittenberg is going to move up a, a bunch probably in the poll this week. Uh, and, and Wesley, you know, with the, by virtue of that Texas Lutheran loss, their playoff uh, spot is looking a little better. I know we'll talk Pool B at, at one point before we wrap up here. Um, but that you know, you don't know how dangerous that team could be because that's a that's a group of guys who are 
playoff tested, a program that's that's deep and has been is used to been being uh, this far into the playoffs. And uh, you know, so there are there are sort of wild cards or landmines or whatever you want to call them all throughout this thing. And I think now that we're out of the okay, we know Mountain Union and Whitewater are probably going to be in Salem, or they, or they are the the dominant two teams, and it would be a surprise if they weren't in Salem. Once we're now that we're out of that, and, and not to say that those two teams couldn't meet again in, in Salem, but now that we're out of that, we're not going into the postseason saying. There are two teams that are clearly head and shoulders above everyone else. Uh, you know, I think that that makes it kind of fun and, and uh, you know enjoyable to watch. And, and it may be in a couple of weeks here some teams separate themselves, but right now, you know, we don't know. We we don't know if if Mountain Union is going to win another national championship or they're not even going to win the OAC championship. I'm just going to say one thing, and then we are going to talk about Pool B. But um, you know, we talk about John Carroll being in the teens. They're in the teens on Saturday. They are not going to be in the teens uh, when the Sunday poll comes out. I can tell you that for sure, because it only takes two spots moving up in order to change that. And we know Heidelberg will fall, and we know Wabash will fall. And I'm sure that uh, John Carroll jumps Johns Hopkins, and I would think that John Carroll probably jumps Platteville. They certainly jump Franklin because Franklin lost. I mean, John Carroll is uh, at minimum uh, in top ten in the poll. The poll, which you guys could just click over somewhere else on the site and and read, because there's no point in me speculating on it. So Pool B got a bit of a uh, a bit of a jolt to the system, I guess. I got a a, a rather hmm, urgent email uh, at some point before even halftime of that game. I'm just going to pull this up for a second because the uh, title, uh, you know, the subject line is "Disaster in Abilene." Um, you know, I see disaster in Abilene and I think, um, you know, Jimmy Keeling got in a car accident. Jimmy Keeling, the former Harden Simmons head coach, got in an accident, uh, on, uh, on Friday. And I, I was concerned that there was a, that there was a, not a good news update, but here, uh, Let's see, Texas Lutheran picked a bad weekend to have an off day, an uncharacteristic game for the Bulldogs. They were down 32-9, getting close to halftime. Twice the Bulldog long snapper snapped the ball over the punter's head, and Harden-Simmons received a safety. It will take a miracle for the Dogs to pull this one out, and they really so much did not pull that out. They got into the game, uh, but then Harden-Simmons really buried them in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and and that was just one of those scenarios where uh, everything went wrong early, and then there was a point... As you mentioned, Texas Lutheran made it competitive, got right back into it, and uh, early in the fourth quarter, Harden Simmons hit a 74-yard touchdown pass, and I, that probably just took the the wind out of Texas Lutheran's sails. You spend so much energy overcoming that awful first quarter. It was 28-3 in the first quarter, and not your typical 28-3 where they just score four touchdowns. It was three touchdowns, two safeties, and the field goal. And, and then you get back into the game at a point where it's competitive at at uh, 45-34 or 42-37 or, or whatever it was at that point in the game. And then the, uh, Harden-Simmons hits that, that big pass, and then they just sort of poured it on after that. And so it ended up uh, being a score in the 70s. And in a way, it, it's kind of, I don't want to say deserved is not the word, poetic justice is not the word, but it, for Harden-Simmons, for all the beatings that they've taken, for the, you know, they've given up 70 points in a game this season. If you want to go back to, I think, week two it was against Linfield, that's a, de- a team that's taken a beating reputation-wise, and they were 3-5 and five coming into this game. They've been explosive offensively, and they've been real bad defensively the past year and a half, year and nine weeks, you know, and, and for them to, to do that to someone else who's kind of built 
will just score, 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 and uh, and not always necessarily be great on defense. There is something, like I said, I don't want to call it poetic justice because that's that's pr- probably overstating it. But just you know, to see Texas Lutheran sort of go down the way that Harden Simmons had, had, has uh, has gone down it is uh, there was something interesting about that, and and I think there's now something much more interesting about the pool B pool because how do you compare? Texas Lutheran and Framingham State. How do you compare you know, Wesley, which plays a completely different kind of schedule than Millsaps and Texas Lutheran and Framingham State and Wash U? How do you compare all those teams? Well, there's there's criteria to, to compare them, and uh, it's going to be an awful tough job. You know, usually Pool C is the tough job. Pool B is kind of yeah, pretty easy to figure out, and I think it may be the opposite this year. The um, you know, we we had that unusual situation through uh, Wednesday's regional rankings where uh, Texas Lutheran unbeaten. Uh, this is a South region ranking I'm talking about. So Texas Lutheran unbeaten overall, unbeaten in Division Three, third in the South behind two unbeaten teams, uh, leading the Pool B charge for all intents and purposes. Uh, and then uh, Wesley right behind them with two losses overall uh, and two losses in Division Three. Uh, and then followed the, uh, by Millsaps, who was 8-0. The, the thought of Wesley being ahead of, of Millsaps was kind of interesting. I, and, and why Wesley was ahead of Millsaps and not maybe also ahead of Texas Lutheran, I found a little bit interesting. Because you know, Texas Lutheran's strength of schedule, um, yeah, really far down there. Um, you know, they had, uh, you know, they played in the SCAC where, uh, Southwestern is, you know, brand new to football and, and, uh, Austin college has been struggling and even Trinity is not having the kind of season they've uh, been accustomed to having. Um, now you have to think that Wesley is ahead of both of those teams in, uh, in the regional rankings. And you ha- I would have to think that when Wednesday's ranking comes out, uh, we look at Pool B in the South region, and it goes Wesley, Millsaps, Texas Lutheran in that order. Yeah, and that's strange because it's very rare to see a two-loss team right there with an undefeated team. And and that, that undefeated team right now is Millsaps, their strength of schedule number going into this week. Uh, or or these may be uh, updated through Saturday. They are. Um, they are, right? They, they, they update. Oh, the site is so much more efficient than it was in Woo-hoo! our early days. Yes, it, it, it automatically updates strength of schedule number. So, um, so yeah, so Millsaps five hundred seven um, strength of schedule. Texas Lutheran four twenty four. Which you know, any anything that far below uh, five hundred is is really bad. And then Wesley has the number one strength of schedule in D three at, at uh, six seventy eight ahead of number two, which is Redlands. That's uh, six thirty five. So the um, the the different. You know, the reason you may see that that um, what you you predicted, Pat, to see Wesley maybe at at number one is because of that probably because of that strength of schedule number and the way they got that number, of course, was scheduling um, Mary Harden Baylor early in the season and 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 playing that kind of schedule that they play. Interestingly enough, um, as 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 high as Wesley will probably be in the South region, uh, there wouldn't be the first Pool B team off the board, I wouldn't think. Uh, and here's why: uh, is, is assuming Framingham finishes out with one loss, and they uh, won again, they beat Bridgewater State on Saturday to go to eight and one. Um, it's the you know, there's there's head to head, which is is not a uh, it was not a uh, consideration between those two, but there's also the common opponent of Rowan. Um, and, uh, you know, Framingham lost to Rowan, uh, Wesley lost to Rowan. That's a, that's a position where, uh, you know, Wesley normally would have an advantage against Framingham and here they don't. And I'm not sure how, you know, how deeply any 
committee goes into looking at the differences there. But I would just think if, uh, you know, at the very least, Wesley's got to be breathing a little more easily now because they've got to be ahead of Texas Lutheran. At the worst, they would be the second pool TB, pool B team in among the three in the field. And then if you take, if Millsaps wins out, you take undefeated Millsaps, you drop Texas Lutheran into this pool C and into this at-large mix, you know, um, even as the, they probably would be, the eighth one-loss team among this group of one-loss teams. I don't see them being better than Illinois College, who is probably the uh, the lowest on this group at the end of the week next week. Yeah, and it's true, Pat. That's something that we haven't discussed because it doesn't come up much. And, and it never has. There's never been in, in football, there's never been a uh, Pool B eligible team who's survived that process, not been selected, and then gotten an at-large. And it hasn't happened in men's basketball either. Uh, it has happened fairly frequently in baseball, which is another sport. Obviously, we're very well familiar with here at D3Sports.com. But you know, that's a game. That's a, a game in which you play 50 games or 45 games in a season before Selection Sunday. There's a lot more data to choose from here. Uh, I'm not surprised that it hasn't happened so far. And uh, if Millsaps had been on the board at 10 and 0, if say Texas Lutheran had won out and none of the order of all those rankings changed. That would have been that would have been completely uh, completely unprecedented. Yeah, and so yeah, what it means is you may have had four pool B teams, and you know once they take the three pool B bids, then you put that fourth team into pool C, yeah. and then it, they get judged just like all the other. It was dangerous maybe when you had the potential of, of Texas Lutheran and Millsaps finishing unbeaten, Framingham State with one loss, and Wesley with that number one strength of schedule in D three. All of them. Uh, would have had a very good good uh, uh, chance. Now, you mentioned Pat, if Texas Lutheran is the is the out team, there that four twenty four strength of schedule number is really uh, not going to stack up well against the other teams in Pool C. Although there are a lot of sub five hundred strength of schedule numbers uh, among these one loss teams in Pool C. So um, it, it uh, you know, maybe Texas Lutheran is hurt from from having that game canceled. Midseason, you know, it was not a D three game, so I don't, I don't know what, um, you know, I don't know what else Texas Lutheran could have done except not get beat seventy something to forty something on Saturday. Yes, uh, not getting beat is always a good way to make the playoffs. That is certainly true. Uh, we had, as we mentioned, fourteen uh, teams did clinch automatic bids on Saturday. That means we have uh, ten left to hand out next week. Um, in in week eleven, uh, we have a bunch of head to head games. We've already talked about, for example, that Mountain Union and John Carroll will play. Um, if you you know put your hands up in July, if in July you thought that would be a, a winner take all game for the OAC title, yeah, okay. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a winner take all game in the NEFC between Salve Regina and Endicott. Um, the Old Dominion Athletic Conference also very cut and dry. Randolph Macon and Hampton Sydney will face off head to head in a big rivalry game for the for the title. Uh, Keith, I expect, will be among 8,000 people reported as 12,000 to be at the game. Um, I Ooh. I do expect you to bring back a legitimate, good estimate. I don't expect you to count heads, but I'd like to know. I'd like to know exactly some some idea of what that attendance actually is. Well, uh, yeah, and it's always better when when there's a you know conference championship or playoff spot on the line. Right. And, you know, for for a couple of teams that have stumbled each twice. Coming in, uh, they're both five and one, seven and two. They're lucky to be able to to, to still have the playoffs. 
uh, on the line in this game. And then, you know, with Randolph making the, with the new stadium, it's, it's, um, it, it's open, I guess. And, and a lot, there's the, you know, it allows a lot of movement, but maybe not as, as bad as before. So I don't know uh, if they're going to fill that thing up, but I imagine they would just like, they're going to, you know, fill it up in Cortland state and Ithaca on Saturday. And, and, you know, at the Mona Bell game, there's going to, you know, there, there's going to be some pretty, pretty big crowds because there, there's some games, on certain team schedules where, you know, you go to that game anyway, but then when there's something on the line, it brings in all the people who are kind of on the fence, like maybe I'll go this year, you know, then, then I don't know what the, what the attendance will be like, but I know having something on the line really makes it a, uh, a big one. And not to necessarily rag on any particular attendance count. I just know that this is like a perfect storm for great attendance at the game, capital T, capital G, between Randolph, Macon, and Hampton, Sydney. One other head-to-head game uh, coming up next Saturday, which will decide a conference title, will be in the MIAA between Albion and Hope. And then we have, uh, you know, the usual handful of scenarios where uh, if X happens, then Y. If Y happens, then Z. Uh, in the NJAC, for example, uh, I'm not even quite sure. I have some notes sitting uh, here in front of me. Uh, but here's the basics. So Cortland is in the clubhouse. They uh, Their conference schedule is done because, uh, as Keith mentioned, they play Ithaca coming up next week in the Cortica Jug game. That is a uh, obviously one of the great longstanding rivalries in Division Three football. Um, Brockport and Rowan enter the week as the uh, uh, as teams tied for the top of the conference standings. Brockport plays Morrisville State, and Rowan plays TCNJ. So if Rowan beats TCNJ then Rowan wins the conference championship. Uh, that's, that's easy enough. If, um, if TCNJ beats Rowan and turns it into a three-way, it can't be turned into a three-way tie. It's like we had this discussion. Um, so hold on a All second. Right. Wait, 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 wait. I can do this. I'm not sure if I can. If, uh, if Rowan and Brockport both lose, uh, and go. then TCNJ and Cortland, uh, it's a four-way tie between those two, between those four teams at two losses apiece at the top of the conference. Uh, it still turns out to come down to the Rowan-Brockport head-to-head matchup from earlier in the season because uh, against those four teams, or against the other three, uh, Rowan is 2-1 and one against the other three. Brockport's 2-1 and one against the other three. So again, we go back to Rowan and Brockport being the head-to-head. There actually is no three-way tie scenario. It's fairly well broken down we don't have to go to a point differential or rose bowl rule or coaches drawing names out of a hat or anything like that at least and in there are a couple other you know tiebreaker scenarios across the country but uh the hopeful you know we i don't think we're gonna have to use any of those crazy things this season and there's almost always one or two conferences where it gets a little out of hand and uh Obviously, it would take some NJAC upsets for that to happen, but it, it's interesting that that Rowan twenty to sixteen victory way back in September, early October, is is now such a huge game. And I don't know when you at Rowan's schedule when it when they you get the schedule at the beginning of the season and all the big games they played against Wesley and Cortland State and and, and Montclair State being one of their sort of natural rivals. Um, who knew that the Rowan Brockport State game would be the big one that that possibly uh, decides the conference there? So again, you know the profs uh, they beat TCNJ, they're in, and if they lose and and Brockport wins, then uh, Brockport is in. So it doesn't necessarily have to get crazy in the end, Jack. There are a couple of ways this thing could uh, could end simply. 
Yeah, it just can't be a three-way tie. It can only be a single winner, a two-way tie, or a four-way tie. And that is, uh, as a reminder, it's because Cortland State is already done with its conference schedule. Uh, there are some other ones where it's pretty cut and dry in the heartland. Um, you know, Franklin can still uh, clinch it by winning. Uh, they could have done it on Saturday, but they did not. And I will talk about more about that because uh, we haven't gotten to that very much. Uh, Iowa Conference, uh, if oh, and if uh, Franklin wins or if Rose Holman loses. Uh, Iowa Conference is similar. If Warburg wins or Co loses in the MAC, it's if... Lebanon Valley wins or Widener loses. And then we have the Midwest Conference where we, again, have the teams who could end up. They're not tied at the moment. They couldn't end up tied without playing each other. Um, the uh, the uh, the quarters-led uh, tiebreaker that the Midwest Conference uses is still going to favor Illinois College. Um, and now, of course, Illinois College has to win and St. Norbert has to lose for that to be a, uh, to be a factor. Illinois College uh, losing on Saturday means that uh, they're a bit behind the eight ball. Uh, St. Norbert goes to Lake Forest, and if St. Norbert wins at Lake Forest, they are in. Uh, Illinois College has to beat Carroll and hope that Lake Forest beats St. Norbert, and that is uh, how the Midwest Conference could break down. Oh, and uh, the pack, sorry. W&J can uh, win the pack by winning. Um, if they lose... Then uh, Thomas Moore wins it because uh, Thomas Moore, even though they lost head to head, Thomas Moore would then be a game ahead of them in the standings. And, and if you're a fan of one of these other teams in Pool C, that's what you you want to root for, right? You want to root for like a W and J loss, so Thomas Moore wins, goes in as the Pack's automatic qualifier, and then you don't have to mess around with them as one of the competitors in Pool C. I'm not sure there are, there are many other scenarios where you can you can root for that, but you can always sort of root for your direct competitors to lose. That that works, too. Uh, the, the Pool C group, I guess we can run it down really quickly, even though we were just doing Pool A. Um, Illinois Wesleyan faces Elmhurst. Uh, Illinois College plays Carroll. DePosh. DePosh. What? That could be our new word of the week. There you go. Uh, Wabash plays DePaul. Pacific Lutheran, as we mentioned, no game. John Carroll and Mountain Union, you're well aware of. Thomas Moore plays the Bridge Bowl against uh, Mount St. Joseph. Platteville and Oshkosh play each other. Uh, both of those teams right now are Pool C candidates. Um, so they're, we've seen this happen in maybe every two or three years or four years. There's just a crazy out of the blue week 11 where a whole bunch of teams lose and then somebody sneaks in it's certainly not unprecedented it could happen um but but i think that the seven teams for uh, for five bids makes it really tough and of the the conferences pat that you mentioned you know the most surprising one that didn't have a clincher on saturday was was clearly the heartland yeah that's just it's just crazy to be honest with you as, as dominant as franklin has been in this league over the course of, you know, not just this season, but uh, previous seasons as well for Franklin to lose at Bluffton is just kind of mind numbing to me, to be honest with you. There's only a couple things I can think of. Um, and you know, not really having gotten to see any of it. Um, just knowing that, uh, you know, Bluffton is now one of those rare teams that still plays on grass and, uh, having seen some, uh, highlights out of there in, uh, recent weeks, I know that, uh, you know, grass in Ohio is not necessarily in great shape. Um, but man, that's just not anywhere near enough of a mitigating factor for uh, for Franklin to go lose at, at Bluffton. And it only puts 17 points on the board. I mean, 
the Grizzlies had been averaging over 50 points a game heading into the week. Um, you know, they scored 27 against Mount Union. They can only score 17 against Bluffton. Yeah, I was going to say by the transitive, transitive property <laughs> game right now, Bluffton is almost as good as Mount Union somehow or better. Uh, that's that's why that game never works, even though it's always it's always uh, it, it's fun because it helps you compare teams. Um, yeah, the, it, it certainly you know Franklin obviously wasn't the same team or didn't play as well in week ten as they played in week one. And you know if it was a matter of them not being as fired up or not being as well prepared as they were, I, that's a big question mark because a, a team has an opportunity to clinch, and you don't win thirty some odd conference games in a row without being able to take them each one at a time and realize, well, okay, what's at stake this weekend? And, and you know, the odd thing is Franklin didn't blow its chance to get into the postseason. They uh, they win the victory bell next week, uh, and they would also win the, the Heartland automatic qualifier. But it would mean they're a 7-3 and three playoff team. And in that North region that we talked about, oh, 25 minutes ago, that means you're going to get a bad matchup on the road. You may see Franklin at Mountain Union again. Could happen. It's only really the uh, regular season conference matchups that the NCAA tries to avoid replaying in the first round. And those of you who are on the West Coast, yes, yes, we got it. We know. Um, you know, it's actually interesting because with Texas Lutheran potentially not making the field, it means that uh, Mary Harden Baylor might see somebody else. Uh, I suspect they might see Redlands uh, uh, Redlands winning the automatic bid out of the Skyac. Um and then Pacific Lutheran and Linfield facing off. But uh, we'll have more time to talk about that during the week. We'll have, you know, those, when those regional rankings come back out on Wednesday, um, I'll try to do a bracketology off of that. And then we will definitely do a bracketology on Saturday night going into Sunday morning as we head into Selection Sunday. Uh, the craziness that will be the uh, final week and a half here of the uh, Division Three football regular season. All these things that we've talked about here over the course of this podcast so far have been around playoff scenarios. There was a game on Saturday which really didn't have a whole lot to do with the playoffs, but was really intensely interesting anyway. Uh, the back-and-forth battle between Wesley, uh, ranked 20th in the country, you know, the uh, they're a, a, they, we can call them perennial power, um, and UNC Charlotte, first year. Division one, you know, that UNC Charlotte, that's the one. Uh, they play a FCS schedule here as they get started here in their football career. We talked briefly about this game coming up, uh, maybe uh, when it was coming up about two weeks ago. Kind of went through the list of the teams that Charlotte had played. They played some pretty decent teams, and they'd done decently. Uh, they were 4-5 and five coming in, and it was a real back-and-forth battle on Saturday with uh, Wesley coming out, um, you know, scoring last with 2.14 to go and making it stand up uh, by winning 35-28. to 28. Yeah, Pat, it, it was a, uh, a pretty back-and-forth game, and it's, it seems like a pretty big accomplishment to beat a, a a FCS team that's a name team, but I, you know, I saw some of the tweets after the game. I thought, you know, don't get too carried away. It's still a first-year program that you beat. Although we, we always, uh, we're always proud to see a D three team beat a team from uh, from another division. And you know, for Wesley, this is not unprecedented. I, I have to be honest, Pat. You, you know, this is this is the as you said, this is the UNC Charlotte. And for me, I was. C- confusing it with the times they played Charleston Southern a couple years back, and uh, they 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 uh, in eleven I believe it was 
Uh, they went down to Charleston Southern and won that game 33-20. So it's not completely unprecedented for Wesley to beat a team, a, a new program uh, that's in a different division and to, to win on the road. But the the experience for them must have been great because uh, they played in front of 14,534 fans. Don't ask me why I remember that number. <laughs> um, but they played in front of that many fans on Saturday, which is probably – 10,000 more than they're used to at a lot of their games. And uh, other they, than the they, Mary had dramatic, they had a dramatic fourth quarter. I, have to, I just have to say, other than the Mary Harden-Baylor game, just to throw that in there, right? That's a good point. That was a huge crowd. And, and maybe those two scenar- those uh, scenes, not scenarios, uh, actually compared because that was a, a pretty um, you know, full crowd that day in, in Belton. And uh, it, it was pretty raucous crowd, but the result was much different for Wesley this time around. And I, I thought it was neat that they, they did it with defense. They got a couple of big stops in the fourth quarter uh, when they went down and scored, they got an interception. Um, you know, they had the, the Charlotte had the ball a couple of times with the score tied in the fourth quarter. And Wesley had to make some big stops and not just, you know, win it with offense. You know, interestingly enough. Uh, so when I talked with, uh, Southwestern coach uh, Joe Austin uh, in September when I was down in Texas. Uh, one of the things he mentioned, uh, you know, his team was was struggling in the fourth quarter, and one of the reasons was his being a first year program as well. He got a bunch of freshmen, you know, guys who played in high school last year when they play forty eight minute games, you know, play twelve minute quarters, and those, you know, you hit the forty eight minute mark, uh, and you're only three minutes into the fourth quarter, you got a long way to go. Obviously, you know, for uh, for Charlotte, this is game ten, um, but. You know, maybe not surprising that Wesley uh, has a little bit extra left in the tank in the fourth quarter for uh, for them to come out with that victory. Yeah, and you know, it, it's got to be interesting to compare the the type of athletes that that uh, first year program would would have, but a first year program that's FCS and probably has goal of being um, competitive. You know, in a couple years from now. Um, in that, why well, I shouldn't say they have a goal of it, right? They have four wins this season, so they obviously, um, you know, aiming to be competitive right off the bat. And and for Wesley, you, you, this is not the first time we've we've heard their athletes compared to guys you might find at a scholarship level school. So we know that that's the type of the, the players that Wesley recruits in, you know, in in New Jersey and in Virginia and Maryland and the areas that they recruit strong in so it, it's not that surprising that they went there and won um but it, it's good for them to have to grind it out and i, I thought playoff position wise you know you mentioned pat that wesley was already in good position in, in the regional rankings when they came out last wednesday this uh, can't hurt you know it, it's not uh it's not primary primary criteria these these non-division results uh will be secondary criteria at best but um it's it, it's got to be good from a from a, a a team I don't know fortitude standpoint however you want to call it like they uh, you know Wesley's had an up and down season the the loss at at Mary Harden Baylor was not a close loss it was a, it was a real bad loss and then the Rowan loss was a little bit of a surprise for them and and thought maybe that could have knocked them out of the playoff picture for them to come back get a big win like this you know whether or not they get into the playoffs. This will be something they can hang their hats on. And it's also a, a really huge test for them. And it's going to be much different next week when they play Alfred State, which is you know not going to be able to give them much of a challenge. Alfred State, not a first-year program, but their first year as a four-year school in football. So it gives them you know some juniors and a lot of sophomores and freshmen as well. 
Of course, it was the last week of the season for the NESCAC. We mentioned Pacific Lutheran is in the clubhouse, but they are almost uh, almost assuredly going to be headed to the uh, NCAA tournament uh, uh, when Selection Sunday comes around. But for the NESCAC, this is the end of the road. And for once, Keith, the uh, the most interesting game in the final week of the NESCAC schedule was not the Amherst-Williams game. It was neither the most interesting game nor the most uh, nor the game with the biggest impact on the conference standings either. Sure, right. And that was very deft of you to make that move because going into Saturday, you know, Saturday at at 11 a.m., you thought the most interesting game was the one in, in Connecticut between Trinity and uh, Wesleyan. Wesleyan 7-0 and had a chance to finish its first undefeated season since 1970, or maybe it was even 69, it, it, um, and they out. I think we refer to them as undebeaten seasons when you get this deep in the podcast. That's right. If you make it towards the hour, you get a new word every week. That's our. We can't give away prizes, uh, but we can give away made-up words every week. There you go. Uh, but, the, but the most interesting game ended up being, or the most exciting, most um, the finish we'll talk the most about. Yeah, ended up being the one in Maine between uh, Colby and Bowden in, in the final three seconds. I, I'll put it to you like this: They sent around a link on Twitter saying look at these crazy final three seconds and the video is like four minutes long it is technically it's it's three seconds of playing time but a lot happens and actually there's there's some there's some time cut in there so um it it uh, that's cut down to get to the three whatever it is um just to you know so there are three scores that happen in those uh in those final three seconds uh Bowden takes a snap from uh from the colby 43 with about 12 seconds to go uh, chucks up a Hail Mary uh, that is uh, brought down in the end zone to make it 26-20 uh, to 20 with three seconds to go. Uh, Bowden lines up to kick the extra point. Colby blocks it, returns it all the way back down for a defensive two-point conversion to make it 26-22. Um, then we got, so that's two scores. You know, obviously not, no time runs off on the conversion. Um, so then Bowden kicks off. Colby tries to lateral its way uh, down to the end zone, and kind of like the way the uh, Mount Union Mary Harden Baylor semifinal game ended last year, Colby's lateral was picked off, and Bowden took it to the end zone to make it a a fairly deceiving thirty two twenty two victory. And the, by yeah, the way, we, we, I should say also the one hundred twenty fifth meeting between these two rivals as well. Right, right. Uh, you know, all those those last week games in the NESCAC are long, long terms, long term rivalries. And uh, yeah, Pat, at, at that. That Hail Mary pass that you talked about, the score was tied at 20. So that was, you think that that, that Hail Mary is the game winner, and I guess technically it, it finished that way. But uh, a whole bunch of stuff happened between that and the final. Heck, if they hadn't come down with the ball, they could have gone to overtime. They been could have been similarly crazy. We had a four-overtime game, for example, on Saturday as well. You know, it, it, you know for, for Teal and Westminster... Um, you know, these teams have been out of the playoff running for quite some time. Uh, it could certainly be very easy for, you know, one team to not show up, frankly. Uh, and they both showed up uh, very well, very deep into the game before Teal came away with the 45-37 win in that fourth extra period. Yeah, and those overtime games, I think, you know, there's... there's I, I love that they made the, this rule. As, Pat, you'll recall, we played in a game... Uh, well, you played. I broadcast. <laughs> Technically, I did not play in that game. I got I reaped all the punishment, and I was in the dime package in that game. And for whatever reason, we never used the dime package. You should have somehow gave up. 
We gave up 50 points. So anyway, we're talking about a game in 1996 between uh, our alma maters uh, that ended in a 50-50 tie. Uh, and Keith, the, uh, I believe 19, the next year. Keith, 1995. The next year, they brought um, overtime rules in. And uh, it's been a great uh, adjustment in addition because it adds so much strategy to the game. And they get, Pat, you mentioned it gives, you know, Two teams that that don't have much to play for, you get into that overtime, and it, it gives them something that I think they're going to remember for their whole career. A four overtime game, um, something that you know you go back and say, ah, I could have won it here. Uh, that that should have been, you know, we should have made this, we should have done this here. This if this play would have went differently, it would have been a whole different game. And uh, those end up being just real memorable, exciting games. A couple of other. Great games on Saturday between teams kind of playing it out. Uh, Lawrence beat Knox 23-20 on a Bartlemas to Bartlemas pass as time expired um, in the uh, in the Midwest Conference. Uh, Whittier beat Occidental 59-52 as uh, you know Occidental even in losing uh, they had a uh, they had a kid give the uh, break their single season rushing record. I was trying to pull that up faster. Kwame Doe with uh, still a game to go over whatever that record was. So, you know, there are a lot of cases where, you know, teams that are now may have been on the radar earlier in the season and have sunk below the radar, still playing some great football. Yeah. One that stood out to me too, Pat, this is one team that, that's barely alive, I guess, in playoff hopes and one that isn't at all. Uh, Cortland and, and Morrisville state put up uh, over 1200 yards together. Cortland won that game 62-49. So uh, anyone who uh, who paid to see that one got their money's worth and then some. Lightning round time. Some of the uh you know some of the conference clinchers that we uh, didn't talk about for example, uh Concordia Wisconsin winning um we talked about, you know, con- we were looking at Concordia Wisconsin and looking I was looking pretty hard at the at the NAC, the Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference because uh, I ended up writing it for kickoff, and the conference kind of ended up, in a sense, maybe a little bit the way we thought it was. Um, Concordia Chicago, for example, in that conference uh, never got it together this year, and uh, CUW uh, at the at where they're standing probably ends up being cannon fodder in the first round for one of the really great teams in that part of the country. Yeah, and that's sort of just how it works when you come out of one of the you know lower conferences, and you don't win all your games you're gonna you just you're gonna have a tough time getting a home game in the playoffs and you're gonna draw a, a, a high seed but that's also the fun of it too because i know as a player you know you want to test yourself against the best and once you reach your goal of we want to win our conference this year you get an opportunity to see how you stack up against the uh the the great teams of the world and, and there's been years you know you remember the Saint Scholastic, I guess this was last year. They got got out to a ten nothing lead against Oshkosh, and you thought, wow, they might have a chance, and then end up being fifty five ten. So um, those could be those those could be fun, but they can also, I think, they, the more important thing is as a competitor, you get to test yourself against the top teams in D three. Maryville wins the USA South of, of all the teams we talked about in the conference this year when we were, you know, looking again back in August. Uh, you know, Maryville obviously in the discussion a little bit because they shared the conference title last year, but a lot of the focus was on CNU and Huntington. Yeah, I thought that was uh we we were we talked about the scenario in the Midwest conference. 
And we're looking also at the USA South thinking, man, if if Christopher Newport and Huntington don't play each other because of the the you know rearranged schedules this year in the USA South, uh, and those two teams end up tied at the end, how are they going to decide this thing and end up being a, a moot point because uh, the Scots ran, like literally ran over everybody in the conference um, just with that, they've they've had a great running game all season, and they'll be a, a a you know road team in the first round of the playoffs, but one that that will will cause somebody on defense to to really prepare uh, to figure out how they're going to stop Maryville. Gallaudet clinches uh, the conference title. Uh, we've been talking about them for a while, and they, as I mentioned, they were my pick for the most surprising uh, playoff entrant. Um, you know, they're uh, ranked third in the regional rankings. Uh, Keith, you and I have been to that stadium, and I'm not sure that that stadium is really uh, someplace that can host a playoff game. So I don't know exactly where Gallaudet might play in the first round or who they might play. They might end up playing somebody where the matchup is fairly decent for them. Uh, the question being where, but really, uh, you know, from, uh, being a, a member of the, uh, of the Washington media, boy, that sounds bad. Now that I say it, Washington sports media, uh, you know, how big a story that's been this year. Yeah. And it, it's gotten quite a bit of publicity outside of D three circles. You know, there's a, a obvious built in storyline with, uh, with not only the the folks from from Gallaudet being deaf and, and hard of hearing, but also a program that went fluctuated between uh, club status and varsity status through the years that we've been doing this, Pat. You know, we've we've uh, and and then and then the storyline we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast where they don't play anybody from the D.C. area. You know, their games are all up in New York and Vermont and and Massachusetts, and they do that to be in a conference, and it's a conference that they had the opportunity to win. Uh, they clinched a bid on Saturday. They're going to go to the postseason. It, to be quite honest, it reminds me a lot of the scenario with SUNY Maritime a couple years ago where they were really good during the season. They you know, went through that division and won it and then it got handled real well in the first round. And I'd like to see what kind of matchup Gallaudet gets in the first round. What do they do? Um, you know, that could be like a type of team that, that goes to Hampton, Sydney or Randolph Macon in the first round. Although those teams will probably be on the road as well. I'm trying to think of somebody else, maybe Johns Hopkins, someone else that will be at home in that in that region. And it'll be maybe a chance for, for them to uh, to bring a lot of their fans and, and watch them play uh, close to home uh, for once, even though the, the obviously they have home games as well. The, Pat, you mentioned the, the publicity this week uh, was Yahoo. Um, USA Today was on it. The Washington Post wrote about it a couple weeks ago. It was on the morning news here in D.C., I think on Fox. Uh, so, you know, that story's gotten a lot of attention, and, and rightfully so, and it can only get better from here if they continue to win. It really is actually a lot like that year SUNY Maritime ran the table. They were the three seed. They couldn't host uh, because they're now, uh, uh, let's see, Deposed athletic director did not uh, put in to to host that game. Uh, they ended up having to go to Alfred in a three six game, and Alfred uh, had their way with them, shall we say, in uh, in winning that game. At the very least, uh, Gallaudet comes into this game, uh, whatever that playoff game is, and one more regular season game, having played the University of Rochester, having played Shenandoah, middle of the pack teams in middle of the pack conferences, which I think is more than. We could have said about SUNY Maritime when they uh, made their uh, unbeaten run through the regular season a few years ago. Uh, looking back at our triple take takes for the week, 
um, which was our Friday. Uh, that that's the Friday preview we do, where we uh, the three of us, myself, Keith, and Ryan Tips, each give our take on what's going on in Division Three football and what's going to happen on Saturday. That hence the triple take. Uh, probably didn't need to explain that to you, but because we've only been doing it for about seven years. Uh, Ryan's pick for game of the week: Wittenberg at Wabash. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, all three games that were taken, uh, Heidelberg, John Carroll, North Central Wheaton, these were all, uh, games that had a significant amount of impact on the, uh, on the landscape. Um, uh, actually two of them were blowouts. Maybe two of them were surprising blowouts and, uh, but at the very least, all of them were important, if not necessarily competitive on the scoreboard. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad nobody really keeps track of the points because they were all games of the week going in and coming out. They may not have been, uh, certainly for Ryan, uh, Wabash alone wasn't a game of the week for for uh, for him in the end uh, because Wittenberg was, was all over Wabash. Uh, we, you know, we were surprised with that Heidelberg-John Carroll game. And then North Central and Wheaton, I guess I kind of felt that was the leftover game. And, and if I didn't take that, I would have taken Concordia, Moorhead and St. Thomas. And that was, uh, that was something that we, I guess we haven't mentioned in the podcast to date, but, uh, but St. Thomas, um, you know, knocked uh, Concordia, Moorhead out of pool C in that game and, and you know, played the way they looked, I guess a lot last season, just, you know, being effective, running the ball, taking care of it, playing pretty decent defense in the second half. So, um, I just wanted to, I guess, mention that because there were so many games this week with a, with a lot on the line. Yeah, St. Thomas looked good, especially in the second half defensively, uh, and Concordia Moorhead only managed 35 yards the entire second half. Uh, the Cobbers jumped on top 13 nothing early. Um, they had two attempts at the extra point, uh, the one that they missed. One of them hit the right upright. Uh, but uh, St. Thomas was offsides on the second attempt. St. Thomas blocked the extra point, so it was really uh, the Cobbers were just not going to get that uh, that fourteenth point. A um, couple of uh, you know a couple of breakdowns in the secondary where uh, where Zilstra, the one of the wide receivers for Moorhead, uh, scored on a 31, t- 31 yard touchdown pass, and he had two catches for like fifty one yards in the first two possessions of the game, and then he was locked down the rest of the game. And uh, Concordia kind of struggled to score from there on out. Um, St. Thomas, you know, uh, Coach Glenn Caruso, you can see an interview I did with him uh, in the postgame show, which is at the bottom of your page, or uh, in Saturday's uh, Top 25 game coverage. Um, thinks they have a pretty good shot, but we've kind of run down the, the scenarios for two lost teams in Pool C. I should say... He thinks they have a pretty good shot if St. John's loses to Bethel on Saturday, uh, because that's he understands that uh, if St. John's is a two-loss team that beats Bethel, uh, that's uh, a situation that the Tommies could obviously not uh, overcome. Despite having been to the Stag Bowl last year, struggling a little bit this year uh, and sitting at seven and two, uh, surprisingly close games. Ryan took Case Western Reserve at Wash U. This game was mentioned twice in Triple Take, and neither of them really all that correct uh, as uh, case lost 29, nothing. Uh, I took Randolph, make it a Bridgewater. That was about as close as it could get Keith. Uh, um, you know, uh, Randolph Macon had to rally to win that game. Yeah. And, and it was a, one of those, you know, crazy final four minutes where the, the teams were back and forth. Uh, Bridgewater scored to go ahead 
um, and uh, when, you know, when, I guess Macon had scored, and Bridgewater scored, then Macon drove all the way down and uh, and scored. That, that'd be the simplest way to explain it. There was a whole lot more that happened in there, but you definitely hit it as surprisingly close. And Bridgewater actually had a chance to win it, even after Randolph Macon scored in the final thirty seconds. Bridgewater got the ball uh, and had a forty-nine yard field goal, which is a tough kick anywhere for a D3 kicker, but at Bridgewater, just the way the wind blows through, uh, it's, it's, I always felt like it was set in the mountains and it was just so, it was like, a, it's like a wind tunnel. It feels like we've seen crazy things happen with field goal kicks there before in games. And that one, uh, was just, uh, it was 49 yards, had the distance and it was just off to the left. And so it was, as you mentioned, Pat, about as close as it could get good pick for a surprisingly close. By the way, uh, I will accept the thanks on behalf of Catholic University from all Randolph-Macon and Hampton-Sydney fans for knocking off Guilford and getting them out of a three-way tie scenario and letting you guys uh, battle out the conference championship to yourselves on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they, the game is so much better when it has everything on the line, and I uh, appreciate that. Keith's take for surprisingly close was a surprisingly close game between Franklin and Marshall and Johns Hopkins, and you really hit the reasoning uh, square in the head as well. Yeah, it uh, ended up being kind of a shootout, and, and it, the it was 45-30, but it was a close game for a while. And I, I thought Franklin and Marshall, I, you know, you get to a point over the years where a team dominates a conference and the way Johns Hopkins has where as you play that game, you look at that schedule on your schedule and you go, man, we, we got to have a great, you know, we have to get off to a good start or we're in trouble this week. And you, and you can almost psych yourself out. You know, we, we hear teams talk about it all the time when they go to Mount Union. You know, half the half the job is just believing you can win out there, and uh, you know same deal on a smaller scale. And Franklin and Marshall having beaten Johns Hopkins last year, they're not, not intimidated at all. The uh, most likely top twenty-five teams to get upset. Uh, neither of us, none of us, decided to go way out on the edge of the limb and, and pick Franklin. Although that would have been the pick of the week. Um, and none of us were correct, although we all had uh, games that were interesting. Um, Ryan took Ithaca, I took St. Thomas, and you took Millsaps. Yeah, Ithaca won in overtime over Salisbury when uh, Salisbury scored in overtime and missed its kick. Uh, St. Thomas you talked about, and then Millsaps. We probably didn't talk about this game enough in the podcast. Millsaps was at a point in the game and um, with about three minutes left, the fourth and seven, no good. Um, and so they give the ball back to center with 2.59 to go. And it's one of those situations where only, only way center can lose this game is if everything goes wrong and literally everything went wrong. Uh, center hands off on first down, their best running back fumbles. Uh, Millsaps recovers, takes it to the six-yard line, punches it in. Uh, gets the two point conversion. They get the ball. Uh, they get the ball back. Uh, no, they kick the onside kick. Get that uh, drive. Kick a field goal to tie it. All right. So they just rallied from eleven points down in the final three minutes. Then in overtime, um, they Millsap scores first. Kicks the extra point. Center scores when they were on their possession, decides to go for two and win it. So everything's been going against them at this point. And they said, man, forget this. We're, we're just going to win this game. They give it to the their best back, the same guy, and he, he fumbled again. And, and center ends up losing that game. And uh, Millsaps is 9-0 and in a game where they trailed by 11 with 2.59 left and didn't have the ball. Yeah, it's that last part that hurts the most, I, I would have to say. Um, they'll be on your radar. Uh, two of us picked teams that lost. I picked St. Scholastica. 
because St. Scholastic is always on your radar this time of year. Uh, and they went down to Greenville and they won that game. Uh, Ryan took Moravian, which lost to Juniata 27-14. And, well, Keith took Texas Lutheran. So uh, moving on to which team will clinch a playoff spot. Here, I picked Franklin. What the heck was I thinking? Uh, Ryan took Gallaudet and uh, Keith took Whitewater. Yeah, um, we actually haven't really talked a whole lot about uh, Whitewater. Um, you know, we've talked them, uh, about them a little bit, but you know, they really look this year like, uh, depending on where they get placed in the bracket, they're in a real uh, a real position to make a lot of noise and be playing at the very least in December. Yeah, they don't have the high powered offense or the stars that they've had for years, but they're just solid enough. And that when they don't turn the ball over a bunch and they play great defense, you know, Saturday's win was 17-7, nothing outlandish, but the seven is the number that stands out. I don't know if there are two better defenses going into the postseason than John Carroll and Whitewater. Those are going to be two tough matchups for teams. Jake Kumaro, we mentioned him last week because he got knocked out of the game in the first quarter. Uh, five catches for 45 yards that led uh, Whitewater on Saturday. So seems to be in fairly decent shape at the very least. Uh, heading into the final week of the regular season and then uh, the postseason. Which regionally ranked team will see its fortunes change? Ryan took St. Lawrence. Uh, yep, they lost. Uh, I took Wash U. Yeah, there's nothing positive I can say about that. Keith took Hope. Yeah, and the reason I picked Hope was because they're idle, but uh, there's a whole bunch of big games. <laughs> that explains it because I was thinking, what did Hope do today other than uh, you know set themselves not – you know. Not knock themselves out of the MIAA head-to-head game next week. Well, yeah, there, there were two, two reasons behind it because a whole bunch of teams in the North were playing, and so maybe uh, they could sneak up the North, the region rankings a little bit, and uh, and because they uh, they were they were idle while Albion and Adrian played, and it was kind of like uh, trying to sneak in an upset pick of Adrian over Albion, but it didn't happen, so I'm glad I didn't sneak it in there. This one's for the birds. Ryan took the Hawks of Huntington. They lost today to Methodist. That was part of the reason why Maryville clinched today uh, on Saturday because uh, Maryville and Huntington play head-to-head in Week 11. That could have been a head-to-head game for the conference title, but instead Huntington did not make it there. Uh, I took Johns Hopkins. Keith took Wesleyan. We talked a lot about Wesleyan already, uh, but you know, still, boy, um, the only other thing I had to think about uh, to say about Wesleyan that we haven't already mentioned is they got a lot of pub this week out of the Bill Belichick. Uh, the fact that Belichick is a, an alum, even though he's been an alum of them for. I think it's like 40 years now. Um, there's a 76, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I had 73 in my head, but obviously not for any particular good reason. Point being, uh, they got a lot of mileage out of that and they, uh, you know, really did not play like it. No, I mean that, that game, you know, Trinity, uh, you know, it was 40 to 10, but it wasn't like it was 10, 10. And then Trinity scored a bunch of games. It was 30 to three at a point in that game. That was another one where, you know, you, you, Looking at all the games going on on Saturday, I want to click on it and just say, eh, there's so many other better games to watch, and I would have liked to watch some of it. Uh, but by the time I got to it, it was already a blowout. Uh, the uh, you know we haven't mentioned the Amherst Williams score. Amherst won that game twenty to seven. And to talk about what's coming up next week, we've already hit on all the uh, you know all the games that are going to be key in terms of conference championship. Um, you know, we mentioned the Cortica Jug game between Ithaca and Cortland State. You know, now Cortland State has a chance to maybe uh, knock Ithaca out of having a home game in the playoffs. So that's uh, something that I'm sure that the Cortland State fans will be up for. And yeah, you know, anything else that you want to talk about, whether they have uh, uh, serious playoff hopes or postseason hopes outside of the ECAC, what they really have an opportunity to do 
uh, is play that spoiler role. Uh, we mentioned that the St. John's and Bethel play each other coming up on Saturday. And of course, all those head to head games that decide conference championships uh, and one that maybe decides an at large bid between Platteville and Oshkosh. So keep an eye out for those. Um, and uh, of course, coming up this week, I uh, mentioned some of the things that uh, already that we'll be talking about. But of course, a lot of the things that we do every week uh, the play of the week nominations, coaches, if you have, or SIDs, if you have your video. I uh, need to have it by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. Uh, we've got a handful of them already, and uh, it's still, at least here in Central Time, it's still Saturday. Um, we have the Team of the Week. That's our weekly honor roll. Nominations for that are due by 8 p.m. Eastern Time. That's an SID function. Uh, we'll have our Around the Region columns, all seven of them. Uh, again, this week, Keith will be writing Around the Nation. We will have regional rankings come out on Wednesday afternoon. We'll do some bracketology off that at some point during the week. Uh, we'll have Triple Take on Friday. And then Week 11 games and Selection Sunday uh, coming up here before we have uh, your next podcast. So uh, week 11 games, uh, when those are completed, we will do one final bracketology. We'll break down everything that's happened, uh, pick not only who we think are the three pool B and the five at large pool C teams. Uh, we'll also give you our prediction as to where they put uh, in the bracket, uh, whether the NCAA looks at them and decides consciously to go in another direction. I'm convinced that happens um, or not. At least you give an idea of what could happen based on, all the rules and the uh, money-saving things that the NCAA has to go through. So that's the uh, Around the Nation podcast for week 11. Hey, it was a great week. No coaches were fired. How about that? For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman. Enjoy your week and stuff. So long.